Church family, you may be seated, and as you are, take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Genesis 48. This is our second to last sermon in our year-long series here in Genesis. We are going to move through two and a half chapters uh, today fairly uh, rapidly. So buckle your seatbelts as you get yourself uh, situated this morning. I do want to give you a brief update uh, from this last week because both at our members meeting two weeks ago and then last Sunday, I asked you specifically to pray uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention, which gathered uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. We sent 11 messengers from our church. Uh, We met there with nearly 16,000 messengers from other churches around North America uh, to uh, elect new officers, appoint new people to trustees to our uh, seminaries and sending agencies to adopt resolutions. Uh, we asked you to pray because there was uh, some possibility of conflict and uh, some disagreement. I will say there were some tense moments. Autonomous, independent Baptist churches, we remain uh, together and unified in our gospel mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and plant churches around the world and to educate the next generation uh, of church leaders. I would, uh, I'm very pleased with how the convention turned out. I said this at our members meeting, I'll say it today, don't read secular media about what's happening in Southern Baptist life. They do not understand how to frame the discussion. They don't understand how the, and I just don't understand how it works. So if you're interested, lots of you asked questions about it last Sunday. I'll be happy to refer you to uh, articles that you can read that paint this thing in um, the, the correct way. Uh, so uh, like immediately after our officer election, the New York Times wrote an article that was nearly entirely false. And so they just don't understand how Southern, uh, Southern Baptist life works. I invite you to pray for a man named Ed Linton. Ed is the pastor of a church in North Mobile, Alabama. He's now serving as the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Godly man, a humble man, will be a fantastic leader for the next two years for our convention as we continue uh, to seek to accomplish our mission together. He has been in the last several days uh, on national media, CNN. He was on MSNBC last night and doing a fantastic job of uh, proclaiming the gospel uh, to our world. So would you pray for Ed? And uh, thank you for praying for us and the 11 messengers that we sent from our church to the convention this week. I'll invite you to now stand with me. Obviously, I'm not going to read two and a half chapters. Uh, I'm just going to read one verse from chapter 49, verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach these final chapters in the book of Genesis, recognizing that this is your word to us, would we be blessed as we read the blessing of Jacob to his sons, would we see, God, the picture that you are painting for us, the story that you are weaving together, leading ultimately to the blessing of the entire world through Jesus Christ. God, we seek to bless your name this morning as we worship you, as we see parents dedicating their children back to you. And now as we read and proclaim your word, 
May your name be blessed among all others. And may we receive your blessing through the power of your Holy Spirit. Today we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now church, I recognize this is a lot of text today. Uh, and we, I will do my best uh, to uh, simplify this and to move us as quickly through this as we can. Uh, but what we need to see is these chapters, 48, 49, the first part of 50, are all really telling one unified story. Jacob and his other sons, uh, not Joseph, have now joined Joseph in Egypt in the midst of famine, they have been given land by Pharaoh, some of the best land. They were shepherds in Canaan and they will now be shepherds in Egypt and they've been given the, the, the best land in which they can do that vocation there. And Jacob has now come to the end of his life. He is a, an old man at the time we pick up in Genesis 48. And what we're going to see is a series of blessings First to the sons of the two oldest sons of Joseph, then to the 12 children of Jacob by birth, and then ultimately seeing the children of Jacob blessing their father after his death. So we'll really see three forms of blessing as we walk through these chapters today. The first is blessing by way of adoption and providence. As Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons, Go back to chapter 48 and start there at the beginning. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan uh, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go uh, to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So here's what's happening. Jacob on his deathbed. Um, it, Joseph hears about it. He comes to his father. His father uh, summons the strength, sits up, takes the two sons. We're going to see even places them on his knee, uh, J Joseph's two oldest sons. And without asking Joseph, without any warning at all, says this, these boys are now mine. These boys belong to me. But notice what he does first. First, he recounts for the final time here in Genesis, the blessing of God, which has spanned three and now going to be four generations, that God had made a promise to Abraham that he would multiply him, that he would make him a great company of people, that he would give him a land as an everlasting possession, that God had made that promise to Abraham. It had passed to Isaac, it had passed to Jacob, 
And Jacob reminds Joseph of that promise immediately before taking these two sons, before taking Ephraim and Manasseh and saying, these children, these sons are now mine just as Reuben and Simeon are. So just as my other children who are mine by birth, these two children will also be, that these two sons of Joseph will share in the same promise that all of the other sons of Jacob would share in. So why is this significant? First, it's somewhat significant because it strikes us as a little strange, doesn't it? That a grandfather would take his grandchildren and look at his son and say, these kids don't belong to you anymore. These kids belong to me. And you notice Joseph doesn't argue. He actually argues with his father here in a moment for something else that he does. But he doesn't argue here. Why? Because this is an honor. These children are now going to be included in the blessing alongside of Joseph and his other brothers from Jacob. But there is something else significant that is taking place here in the beginning of Genesis 48. These children, we have already been told in a previous chapter that were birthed to Joseph, came from an Egyptian wife. Now, think back of what we've seen over the last numerous chapters. Abraham took Sarah to be his wife. They came from the same people group in Mesopotamia. Then when his son Isaac was needed a wife, Abraham sent his servant back to that same homeland, to his same family, to take Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. Then when Jacob became old enough to need a wife, Jacob traveled himself to that same homeland, to that same family, to take Leah and Rachel to be his wives. Jacob looks back upon his blessing here, the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now includes half Hebrew, half Egyptian sons in it. But for the first time, someone outside of the direct family of Abraham is going to be included in this promise. There is great value for us here. Foreshadowing. Just just a hint of foreshadowing of the inclusion of the peoples of the world in the promise of God. Jacob, by adopting the two sons of Joseph, includes those who are not only of the family of Abraham and brings them into the promise. Jacob then blesses the younger son with a greater blessing than his older brother. Pick up in verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his fathers, they are my son whom God had given to me. And he said, bring them to me please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has set me, has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knee and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them, Ephraim in his right hand uh, towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God whom has been my shepherd all my life long this day, the angel who has uh, redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow in a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, he dis it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. And he also shall become a people and he shall be, uh, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessing saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Now, if you've been with us this entire time in Genesis, there are some things that happen in this story that should cause you to look back on things that have previously happened in the book. Just as Isaac's eyes had grown dim and Jacob and his mother had schemed to deceive Isaac into giving Jacob, the younger son, his blessing, so now the sons of Joseph, who have recently now been adopted by Jacob, Come to Jacob, whose eyes are also dim. Just as his father's eyes had grown dim, now his eyes had grown dim. But there is no deception in this story. As there was deception in the previous generation, there is no deception here. As there was scheming and plotting in the previous generation, there is no scheming and plotting here. There is simple reliance on the Lord. And this blessing of these two sons, the younger over the older, brings Jacob full circle. He comes now to when he received the blessing, but there is no malice, there is no lie, there is no deception, there is no need to cover the arms and seek to fool their father. It is simple reliance that God's will be done. And Joseph rightly desiring that his oldest son receive the blessing of the older son, the right-hand blessing of their new father, Jacob, he gently corrects his father and he says, no, no, son. Jacob tells Joseph, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> this is the way that the Lord would have it. So not only does this adoption of the two sons of Joseph include in, bring in, hint for us the inclusion of the Gentiles into the promise of God. We now have Jacob coming this full circle pattern back to his blessing, having stolen it from his brother and deceived his father to get it. Now, fully reliant on the Lord, blessing the younger over the other, recognizing that it is God who is at work. When the author of Hebrews looks back on the testimony of faith of the Old Testament patriarchs, he writes this and this alone of Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. The author of Hebrews highlights this moment because it was this moment that we see the full redemption of Jacob known. No longer is he the deceiver, the heel grabber. He now is fully worshiping the Lord as he blesses the sons of Joseph whom he has adopted. Then Jacob turns to bless Joseph in a greater way than his brothers. This chapter ends with two verses. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. 
Now, let's just work from the back up really quickly. At the, at the end of this, we're told that he acquired this land by force from the Amorites. We're not told that story anywhere else in scripture. So we don't know when that happened in the life of Jacob, but we can trust that Jacob is being honest with his son here. He's, he's, he is taken by force a mountain slope in Canaan, and he tells Joseph that he's going to give that mountain slope to him and not to his brothers. But Jacob blesses Joseph with something that he no longer possesses. He is now in Egypt. And it's not only that he is in Egypt, but all of his family has come to Egypt. All of their things have come to Egypt. Jacob knows he will never return to Canaan. But he hopes in the Lord that his descendants will. He believes in the Lord's promise that they will once again go to the land of their fathers. And so he blesses his son with a greater blessing in hopes that the Lord will one day restore that blessing, that restore that land to them. This is the second time that Jacob has given something to Joseph that he didn't give to his other brothers though. There's so, there's so many flashback moments here in this, right? At the beginning of the story of Joseph, Jacob gives him a coat of many colors, a coat of royalty, a coat that made him stand out amongst his brothers and it caused his brothers to hate him. But this time, there's no conflict between the brothers. All have grown tremendously in their faith in the Lord. And this time, there is no argument. There is no contention. There is no strife. There is only blessing. In chapter 49, we see blessing by way of birth, action, and providence. Here, Jacob will move towards blessing the 12, his 12 sons by birth. I'm going to take these somewhat out of order and organize them for us really as we would categorize the three different types of blessings that Jacob offers to his sons here. The first cover three, Reuben, Simeon, uh, Reuben, Simeon and Levi, and they are, as I would refer to, the disqualified. Look first at Reuben, verse three. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my mighty, and the first fruits of my strength preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. So far, so good, right? Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now this requires us to go back in the story several chapters of Genesis 35 which gives us this little tag about Reuben. There's, there's, there's no resolution to this, this, this short little account at all in Genesis 35. We're told this in one verse only, while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. We're not told decades before that Israel did anything about it, but now at the end of his life, because of Reuben's sin, he is disqualified for having sexual relations with his father's concubine. This egregious sin does not disqualify him as a son of Jacob. He is still a son of Jacob, but it does keep him from receiving the full blessing due the firstborn. Remember what we saw here in verse 28 that we read at the very beginning of the message. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. So he is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. So the blessing suitable to Reuben 
was that he would miss out on the blessing of the firstborn. He would still be included in the family, but he would miss out on that which was due to him because of his egregious sin in the land of Canaan. So then we go to sons two and three. Sons two and three have heard that the birthright blessing of the firstborn has skipped the first. But sons two and three are combined together, starting in verse five. And Jacob says this, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined in their company. For in their anger, they killed men. And in their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Sons two and three are also disqualified from receiving the eldest birthright because they also sinned in the land of Canaan by deceiving and slaughtering an entire city. This took place in Genesis 34. Now, there was, their sister had been raped. And because of that, their anger grew. But instead of dealing with it in a righteous way, they, just, they dealt with it in a deceptive way. And they coaxed the men of that city to become circumcised falsely promising them an inclusion in the blessing of Abraham. And then we're told in verse 25 of Genesis 34, they took their swords and came again to the city while it felt secure and killed all of the males. These two, Simeon and Levi, are disqualified because they committed genocide in the land of Canaan. And they would be scattered amongst Israel. Neither Simeon nor Leah. Simeon would be Uh, his descendants would inherit a piece of land that would ultimately be swallowed up by a larger tribe. Levi is the father of those who would become the priests, not having any land of their own. So there are the first three disqualified from the eldest blessing. But we wanna skip now and go to Uh, those that would receive the regular blessing. This would be Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, and then finally Benjamin. Each of these receives a short blessing, the first three a little longer than the other sons. But each speaking of their role in the land that would come, each speaking about how their descendants would operate within the boundaries of Israel. Pick up in verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shores of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey uh, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, of, uh, in, in the way a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And he skipped to the end. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoils. Now I don't have time to go through the history of the tribes of Israel and show, but here's what, what Jacob speaks over these sons becomes true centuries later about their descendants in the land that they inherit in Israel. These are just the normal sons that outside of Benjamin are not mentioned very much at all. And really Benjamin's only mentioning is the fact that Jacob did not want to send him to 
Egypt. But they all have a place. They're all blessed by their father. And then did you notice in the midst of that, in verse 18, Jacob declares, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. After number seven, after the seventh son is, is blessed. Seven being so, such an important number in the book of Genesis, the number of God's completion. And yet God continued after child seven to, to continue to bless Jacob with children. But he still declares there after number seven, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Jacob has faith that God will do each of these things for each of his children. Leaving two, Judah and Joseph, who I'm calling the doubly blessed. First, Judah, who is son number four. Back in verse eight, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah's a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. You stoop down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Bind his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. And he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth wider than milk. All of this speaking of Judah is blessing. The birthright of the firstborn past the first, the second, the third. And it falls on Judah. The leadership mantle and that promise passes on here to Judah. And yet Judah also sinned in Canaan. But the scriptures tell us that he was brought to repentance. It was Judah throughout the story of Joseph that served as this contrasting figure to Joseph. And it was Judah's willingness to give his life for his son or for his brother Benjamin that led to the restoration of Jacob's sons to Joseph. It is Judah who would be the greatest tribe of Israel. It would be Judah who, from whom the throne would come. It would be Judah from whom salvation would come into all of the world. While all of the sons share in the blessing, some to a lesser degree than others, it is Judah by whom the promise of God would carry on, ultimately leading us to Jesus himself. He is the first of the doubly blessed. And then there is Joseph, who has already received a gift from his father beyond that which his sons received. He's already seen his eldest two sons placed on the knees of his father and adopted into the family, receiving a birthright of their own. But now Joseph would be blessed by his father, beginning in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring, his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your fathers who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessing of heaven above, blessing of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing of the breast and of the womb, the blessing of your father, are mighty beyond the blessing of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Just as Judah was doubly blessed, receiving the birthright of the eldest son, even though he was number four, now Joseph too is doubly blessed. 
Judah. His promise would take a while to come to fruition. Judah in his lifetime would never see the throne. His descendants would. Judah in his lifetime would never see how all of the nations of the world would be blessed through him. We see that in Jesus. But Joseph had received his blessing then and there. He is the second most powerful man in Egypt, the most powerful empire in the ancient world during this time. It is through him that all of the land had been fed because of the work of God. Joseph served as the temporal proof of the blessing of Abraham, while Judah would serve as the future proof of the blessing of Abraham. Both of these men doubly blessed by God. Finally, we see blessing by way of burial. Jacob, now having blessed his children, instructs his sons to bury him with his fathers. In verse 28, we're told these are the 12 tribes of Israel, which we've read. Then verse 29, then he commanded them and said, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite in the cave that is in the field at Mechpelah to the east of Marm in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is, that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Jacob's last breath, he says this, don't leave me in Egypt. (laughs) Abraham's in that cave. Isaac's in that cave. You put me in that cave too. And these squabbling boys who had lied to their father, who had egregiously sinned against their father and against the people of the land, agree. And the sons of Jacob finally bless their father by honoring his burial request. Now, this picks up in Genesis 50. We're told, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it. For that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. There's great mourning in the land of Egypt at the death of Israel. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying, I'm about to die in my tomb. I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out of myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Skip down to verse 12. Because they travel, uh, Pharaoh gives them permission to do it. He gives them the resources to do it. They go back to Canaan in verse 12. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. These sons who didn't often do what their father wanted them to do. Honor his last wish. And not only do we see Jacob come full circle in this story. We see the sons of Jacob also come full circle traveling back to Canaan to bury their father. So what? Through the sons of Jacob, the Lord would keep his promise to Abraham and bless all the nations of the earth. This has really been the story from Genesis 11 now through 50. 
that God was going to do something specific, intentional, through one person and his line. That God had made a promise to Abraham that through him, he would not only bless him and make him a great nation, but through that blessing, all of the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Abraham didn't know how this would happen because he was childless. His wife was barren. But ultimately, God provides Isaac to bear that blessing. Isaac then has two sons. The youngest one, Jacob, deceives him, stealing that blessing and nonetheless carrying it on. Jacob now, 12 sons, some of which at times of their lives were great disappointments. One of which he thought was lost to him forever because of the deception of his other brothers. And yet God all along had a plan. God all along was carrying out his will to fulfill the promise that he had made to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and now to the sons of Jacob. It's going to take a while. It's not going to happen right away. You see, in the very next chapter of the Bible is the beginning of Exodus. And the beginning of Exodus does not look good for the people of God at all. And there is strife and struggle over the centuries, ultimately leading to the Lord, keeping his promise and blessing all of the nations, all of the peoples of the earth. And when that day finally came, do you know who the message first came to? It didn't come to royal people seated on thrones. It didn't come to those in high places and scholars and the learned and the religious elite. No, it came to shepherds, just like the sons of Jacob, shepherds. In Luke chapter two, there are some shepherds in a field keeping watch by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed all around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will what? Be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Centuries later, to a lowly group of shepherds in a field in Canaan, the angels of the Lord appeared to them and said, one is born who will bless all the people. And the glory of God and his peace will be on all of the earth. Days later, that baby's parents would take him to dedicate him, just as we saw parents do this morning in the temple of God. And there would be a man there named Simeon who was waiting, we're told, in Luke 2 for the consolation of Israel. And he had been promised to the Lord that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah. And he sees Jesus and he exclaims this, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is who Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God centuries before to Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob, and his sons. And God is working out this story so that we can all be included in it. So here's the good news for you today, my friend. Because God is the one working out this story, because God is the one who has Jacob include the half Egyptian sons of Joseph in the story, it is offered for all of us. Jew and Gentile alike can share in the blessing of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he continues to carry out his promise to bless the nations of the earth. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He has opened our eyes that we might see our sin and have access to God if we will only come to him in faith and repentance. That is one of the themes of the book of Genesis that we've seen. Is that it's not by works of righteousness, but simply by faith. Faith in the promise of God. It's what Abraham had. It's what Isaac had. It's what Jacob had. Faith in the promise of God. And we're saved by the same way. Faith in the promise of God. Just looking back on the fulfillment of that very promise. So my question for you is this. Have you believed in that promise? Do you trust in that alone to save you? Because there is no works in this world that can save you. But faith in the promise of God alone found in the person of Jesus Christ who gave himself on the cross so that you might live. That alone is what can save you, my friend. That alone is our hope. That alone is what enlightens our eyes. That alone is our revelation. And that alone is the glory of the people of Israel, that all of the nations of the world would be blessed through Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for including us in such a great promise. Thank you, God, for providentially weaving together throughout the generations after generation after generation the story of redemption so that we might be blessed in Jesus. Let us be reminded of that blessing today. Let us hold firm and fast to that truth that we are not included because of who we are, but we are included because of what you have done. And if there is someone here who is not included because they have not had faith in Jesus, today, let that be the day that they see the truth and believe we pray in Christ's name, amen.